Joe can give you more information at 707-362-5439. Thank you, Inner Light. We've got Astro Herb Doctor coming right up. This is your engineer. I have Andrew Murray here, and I'm having a little technical difficulty. Dr. Pete, do we have you here? Yes, I do. You do. Oh, I was unable to hear you, so the show's all yours. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, welcome to this month's Ask Your Herb Doctor. It's August the 21st, 2020, and you're invited to call in from 7.30 to 8 o'clock with any questions about the continuing dialogue and the facts and the science around the pandemic and COVID-19 and all its manifestations. And we're going to bring out, it's not conspiracy, we always look to the facts and uh, we'll be able to provide the links for everything that we discuss so that people can go online uh, and find the information out for themselves. You're listening to KMUD Garberville 91.1 FM. And like I said, from 7.30 to 8 o'clock, we have a live call-in uh, with Dr. Raymond Pete, who's joining us. And the number is 707-923-3911. So once again, 707-923-3911. So my name's Andrew Murray. My name's Sarah Johannesson Murray. Welcome to the show. So every third Friday of the month from 7 to 8 o'clock, uh, we present an hour's uh, radio show based on alternative medicines and uh, different ideas. So not to look at the, the, the newfangled, but to look at some of the uh, empirically tried and tested uh, medicines and herbal medicines. And uh, we're both qualified medical herbalists, and we've been working with herbal medicine for 20-plus years here, manufacturing herbal medicines um, for distribution up and down the west coast of the states. So, uh, like I said, once again, we're very pleased uh, to have Dr. Raymond Pete to join us. Uh, he has some new information and some reiterations of information we've given out previously. And as always, the kmud.org website archives the shows. 
So I think it's very important just to get this out there that people recognize that. The website itself only really hosts the shows for about two months. Then they're removed and sequentially new materials added. So um, if you want to download the show, you should go to the audio archive section uh, and scroll down and look through the title of this show slot from 7 to 8, which is called Friday Night Talk. And look for the third Friday of every month, and then you'll see on that slot uh, the Ask Your Road Doctor radio show, and that can be downloaded from there. For those people who perhaps want to get access to 10 years' worth of shows that we've done now with Dr. Pete as our special guest, uh, on our website, www.westernbotanicalmedicine.com, under the Resources tab, there's a link for all the radio shows from 2009 till the present. So uh, thanks so much for joining us again, Dr. Pete. Yes, hi. Um, as always, I uh, open it up to you to let people know who you are and what your background is for those people who perhaps have not heard you before. Uh, would you just explain your academic and uh, professional background? I uh, studied for a PhD in biology, specializing in uh, reproductive physiology at the University of Oregon, 1968 to 72. Uh, uh, a thesis on uh, uh, the um, oxidative uh, changes with aging. Uh, and before that, I was uh, uh, studying various things in the humanities, uh, literature and linguistics, uh, and uh, uh, some psychology and philosophy, uh, and I started, started a, a, a college in, in Mexico uh, did that for several years. Okay, and I know you've written uh, extensively, and you've written books, uh, and you produce a newsletter uh, that's regularly um, printed out and distributed to people on your lists. Um, and I know I think it's bi bi monthly. Is that correct? Or right? Uh, yeah. Two years, okay. So um, twelve years. Okay. So I just want to give out, I will give out again at the end of the show, but the um, link to find out more about Dr. Pete and his background and what he's done and what he's written on and find all the articles if people are interested to explore some of the other health topics that we won't be covering. Uh, the address is www.raypete.com and uh, just go take a look at all the publications and the links that um, he's produced. So Dr. Pete, um, last month, and I know for several months here we've been following the um, steady um, news about COVID uh, worldwide. And as always in a free speech society, uh, there is information and there is information. And it's out of all the wealth of information that we have access to that we have the ability to sift out the reality from the lies or the disinformation. I know disinformation has been... Um, put on a pedestal, if you like, to be targeted uh, by all sorts of outlets, um, social media, etc., with fake news and the, the news police. Um, but that all, that all aside, I think what I wanted to stress to people listening is that, first and foremost, with the philosophy of first do no harm, um, our objective, objective uh, <laughs> goal here is to provide factual information. And I wanted to just discuss something that we didn't get a chance to discuss um, last month. And I know we've covered it before in the past, um, but a document entitled Codex Alimentarius, uh, which we first came across in about 2003 from uh, Dr. Rima Labo. If people want to type that into a YouTube search, uh, R-I-M-A, Rima, L-A-I-B-O-W. Uh, she did a one-hour presentation on Codex Alimentarius, and everything that came from that seems to be borne out as part and parcel of the current events uh, from the end of the Second World War until now, the steady rise and the implementation of the Codex to unify and, I want to quote, unquote, harmonize everything, removing individuality and identity extensively. Uh, I saw a very interesting video from Harry Vox, uh, which was filmed in 2014. That's also on YouTube. Um, I first thought he was pretty animated, but it's a passion of any investigative journalist, I think, where he clearly explains the Rockefeller Foundation's publication entitled 
has a 2010 publication entitled Scenarios for the Future of Technology and International Development, which parodies almost exactly what's happening now. Uh, it mentions the term lockstep, as in governments initiating and supporting top-down control with more authoritarian leadership and interventions, and then praising the authoritarian leadership of China, which had greater success in controlling those events that population would disseminate without control, like free speech, individualism, innovation, entrepreneurialism, etc. Bring in their prior outbreaks of SARS, H5N1, i.e. the Goose Guangdong virus of 1996, which gave rise to the avian bird flu, uh, bringing these things under control through top-down authoritarian government control. Now, we live in an entrepreneurial free speech society of innovators and are blessed with inalienable rights that Martin Luther King Jr. uttered, saying, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by God, created with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Well, I mean, this lies at odds with authoritarianism in countries like China. And again, folks, this is not a political show, and I don't want to assume sides, but explore the facts. I think mainstream media is at odds and has become at odds with science, which seeks to understand self-evident truth. And it's been famously quoted, those who give up freedom for security get neither. So, Dr. P, do you know, well, I'm sure you do, I ask a silly question, but you're familiar with Codex Alimentarius, and um, you've got definite ideas in your own uh, mind about the mechanisms by which um, you know, Henry Kissinger's uh, memorandum was outlined and how, how the entire structure of the hierarchy is set uh, for basic control um, of, of the population. I remember about 50 years ago, uh, the Club of Rome uh, was a, a group of uh, a few influential people who were uh, sketching out what the world has to do. following uh, this ideology, uh, which uh, I, I think has gathered up all of the uh, dangerous and degrading ideas in our culture uh, and is presenting them as the best alternatives uh, to, to the problems that are being created uh, by the very operation uh, of that sort of system. Uh, in the uh, Rockefeller Report, uh, 2010, that they present four scenarios of possible futures, and lockstep is only one of them. Uh, the other three uh, are uh, various descriptions of future disasters, but I, I think the horrifying thing is that in each of those uh, digital uh, technology is presented as the only uh, redeeming possibility. Uh, so uh, even though they uh, present the lockstep as uh, what, what is very efficient and workable and, and prevents uh, all kinds of suffering uh, and so on, uh, they won't consider uh, any future that isn't uh, looking to digital technology as their savior. Uh, I, I think that's at the very heart of what's been, been going on now for about uh, uh, at least 80 years, a uh, 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 herding of all of culture, uh, humanities uh, and sciences together. Uh, and uh, a few people in the humanities have put up some resistance for uh, 20 or 30 years, uh, but uh, pretty much those people have died off uh, and uh, the, the science community uh, has been uh, uh, so uh, indoctrinated with the lockstep mentality uh, that if you get through the university and can be called a scientist, uh, uh, there is uh, no alternative thinking uh, done. Uh, it, it's following the, uh, the the rules that are set uh, and. Uh, basically, they're looking forward to this uh, digital lockstep society. Interesting. You go ahead. So, 
with the digital society, is that so they can feed us the information that they want us to have? Uh, exactly. Or is it that they're, I mean, of course, they're probably trying to say that it's for our benefit because underprivileged uh, people can then access information. Uh, the the only real alternative is um, if we had a, a post office that you could send letters around uh, uh, with confidence, uh, that might work. But uh, the only uh, workable alternative uh, to being controlled from, from above uh, is to actually get together, have uh, teachers and students, uh, people in, in uh, clubs doing things they're interested in, uh, a whole uh, network uh, of people doing interesting things is a real alternative society. Uh, uh, people would uh, start reforming things from the bottom up if they could uh, actually get together. But the whole drift uh, uh, from factory work uh, where people could actually get together on breaks and talk, uh, they've been pushing people in their cubicles or, or even working at home. Uh, on computers so that they don't talk to each other. Interesting you mentioned that because that's exactly what's happening with the whole uh, social distancing um, terminology and enforcement. I mean, quite literally, it is divide and conquer. Uh, uh, yeah, the, the digital uh, uh, system is uh, right at the point. Uh, they did an experiment in India abolishing uh, a paper money or coin, uh, and uh, lots of people starved because uh, they didn't have access to bank accounts. Uh, but uh, that was just a few years ago, but already they're uh, imminently saying that uh, uh, money uh, transfers uh, viruses. Uh, it uh, has to be abolished for the public health. But uh, that means that banks will do everything uh, and um, uh, money will be uh, banned except uh, through the, the digital uh, uh, bank-controlled system. Uh, and um, uh, at that point, uh, it's likely that you, you will have to pay interest on, on your money because the bank will be uh, doing all of the work of, of yeah. paying your debts and, and paying your salary and so on. So uh, naturally... Uh, uh, they will uh, earn a commission, uh, so savings will be at the mercy of the banks. It is completely backwards uh, from the way that our societies have gone previously to a point where, like you say, and I'm, I know we've, all, we've mentioned this several times on different parts of the shows in different months or different years even, but I know it's been... Um, banded around for quite a while here, the whole cashless society goal, I think, which, you know, on the face of it, sounds like an interesting prospect from uh, the point of view of removing cash from drug cartels, for example, and saying that actually it will be, um, you know, fairly effective at controlling that kind of criminal organization and crime in general, which thrives on cash because it's not traceable. But there is a completely... Um, you know, abhorrent feeling um, behind the cashless digital society because, again, without becoming political or religious about it, the whole mark of the beast uh, in Revelations, which is clearly mentioned, it very closely assumes itself with a kind of digital life and um, the whole part of part and parcel of humanity is the spirit within the person, now, whichever way you believe uh, about religion or higher powers or whatever you want to call it, uh, we're all created spiritual beings, whichever you, have. you don't want to call God, God or Jesus, Jesus, etc. We're created beings and we have the capacity for thought and emotion and compassion and, you know, violence and all the other stuff, but uh, we're created and therefore... Uh, that very creation is something just like our music. You know, it's an expression of the soul. And the whole digital uh, scenario from like The Matrix, I don't suppose you've ever watched that, but that movie, The Matrix, very much brought out what that kind of digitization of existence would be like. And it's a far cry from living 
in the spirit a life to enjoy the world that we live on and be in harmony with it. Um, and the whole cashless society is just the next step, I think, when they actually, if they actually pull that off. And like you said, you know, if they want to start charging money to hold your money by charging you interest, that is, uh, is an incredible income-generating system, I'm sure, that probably hasn't had too much of an equal. And once you get uh, students used to uh, getting lessons on their computer, uh, the best lessons are going to be uh, by the best teachers, and so <laughs> they can record those and give them to everyone. Uh, that yeah. will mean all of the rest of the teachers are unnecessary uh, yeah. and be replaced by these recorded uh, elite lectures. Yeah. And um, uh, the, the uh, uh, digital uh, uh, virtual reality programs will be designed very expensively. Uh, and so everyone will have access to these uh, very uh, complex uh, uh, virtual reality explanations of everything, visits to every place in the world and so on. But uh, they'll, they'll be so expensive that uh, only a, a couple of corporations will be competent to make the really good ones. Uh, and so... Uh, uh, the, the digital corporations, again, will uh, be put in a position of power. Wow. Uh, uh, Chief I'm, Executive I'm, uh, recently summed up uh, her uh, uh, view of the situation. Uh, she said, humans are biohazards. Machines aren't. Well, I know that um, Elon Musk, for example, wants to, I mean, apart from his uh, Mars... Uh, dreams of bringing man to Mars and recolonizing planets. I know he's very, very much behind um, the quote-unquote science of merging uh, AI with our brains and having chips uh, implanted to make us uh, more than we are um, through the very essence of uh, science. You know, yeah, the CIA started working uh, on those projects uh, making remote-controlled dogs, for example, uh, right. many years ago. Uh, 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 around 1950, I knew a woman who was diagnosed with paranoia uh, officially, and she had some really horrible fantasies, but uh, she didn't have any fantasies to compare with the reality of what they've been working on. You're listening to Ask Your Web Doctor, Game with Gabriel, 91.1 FM. From 7.30 till the end of the show at 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in. The number is 707-986. Sorry, 986 is 923-3911. <laughs> uh, so 707-923-3911. Uh, Dr. Raymond Peets, our guest. So um, getting back uh, briefly before we carry on to the kind of authoritarian nature um, portrayed worldwide on the center stage and with Europe, I think, becoming embroiled, willingly or not, who knows, you know, through um, governments and leaders of governments that are in connection, they're conspiring, or they are just interested financially uh, about the partnerships. I know you've mentioned the things before, just like the Silk Road and China's expansion uh, to the West. Um, and it's, you know, prior, prior history of um, trade and, um, you know, domination, not like England wasn't trading and dominant, not like other countries weren't trading and dominant, but just to uh, bring that point home again, that China's expansion uh, militarily, economically, uh, etc., um, and their supposed uh, control of COVID-19 for what it's worth and for uh, the seriousness of it, which we'll get into here with some recent articles that and, have just come out. And we do have a caller whenever you're ready. Sure. Okay, so in terms of China um, and what China is doing, and I just I just saw the, uh, um, the post of all these people in China, in Wuhan, <sighs> swimming in a pool. There's hundreds and hundreds of them. They're all completely next to each other, uh, arm to arm, no face masks. They're all swimming about in this pool, uh, just like it's the middle of summer and everything's great. 
Um, but apparently they had the best control of their population and they suffered the least casualties and they got on, got on top of COVID-19. And I just can't help but think this is just another roll rollout call, a kind of dog training event for people to get the impression that this authoritarian leadership is the only way forward. When, when I know that you're going to bring out in a bit some of um, the uh, articles written um, by Josh, um, Josh Mitteldorf, uh, for one example. But let me, let me just hold you there, Dr. Pete, um, and let's take this caller because it is 7.30, okay. and let's see where we're going with this call. Caller? You're on the air. What's your question? And where are you from? Oh, I don't. I, I I don't have a question. I would like to offer an incredibly affordable, simple solution to the spread of COVID-19 and all pathogens and diseases. And uh, and I came up with it 20 years ago. So I don't know why they're not doing this everywhere. But okay, what is it? You would think, now, as you would think, the biggest spreader of diseases, pathogens, COVID-19, whatever, is currency. And I don't like the, you know, I'm not, I'm, uh, I'm against a cashless society, just like I'm sure you gentlemen are. Um, it's not just currency, though. Door handles, ATM machines, every time somebody touches those pins, to, and uh, waiters and wait staff, when they... Uh, touch the um okay but the, what's your the point, menu Carla? boards okay what's your point all yeah, the what, what, have, what have you got door handles everything this is a solution door handles everything can be retrofitted either with a battery operated or electrically installed uv ultraviolet light um disinfectant light okay very simple and every cash register, every cash counter, every ATM, everything. Okay, uh, Michael, let's uh, let's call this one good and let Dr. Pete uh, weigh in on what he thinks uh, is the uh, fundamentals uh, of doing something like using this uh, in these kind of public places and what he thinks, because I know there is science showing that fomites and, you know, things that are inanimate, um, haven't really got much to do with spreading COVID-19. And so that is something that perhaps he can speak to. Uh, Dr. Pete, what do you think about COVID-19 and door handles and cash registers and ATMs and, and using uh, ultraviolet light perhaps as a disinfectant? Some viruses, like herpes virus, uh, do spread uh, fairly well uh, for several hours uh, off surfaces. Uh, but uh, I, I don't think COVID is that tough. But but still, if there's a gob of of uh, uh, virus-containing material, it's possible. Uh, and uh, little uh, 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 LED-type uh, ultraviolet uh, devices are now so cheap and, and uh, compact and low voltage uh, that uh, it would be possible to uh, use them very widely. In 1955, when I first went to Mexico City, um, I noticed that every restaurant that I went into, even the, the poorest ones, had a, a little uh, uh, a water uh, collector uh, dripping through an ultraviolet, a, a very small ultraviolet bulb, uh, disinfecting uh, every drop of water that uh, was served in the restaurant. Uh, that would be a hundred times cheaper and easier uh, now, but it was uh, very practical back then to uh, make sure your water was disinfected uh, on site. So you're talking about you could get a little um, UV light, and when you go to the grocery store, you could shine it on the shopping cart handle to kill, for example, herpes virus. Um, yeah. And do you think that would be more cost-effective than using, like, an alcohol spray? Um, yeah, in, in certain circumstances. Uh, are, are, we, are we becoming, are we being trained to become uh, a people that are just worried? Because that's where I see all of this um, going. I see the direction that it's taking, and it's not 
I know we can't just be carefree. I mean, I'm afraid we have left the carefree phase a long time ago. Um, but it's a little bit like the um, complete knowledge or ultimate knowledge is complete paranoia. And whilst these things may be effective, I, I only see it going one way, and that is, and that reminds me of what you've mentioned about um, when you, you said just a while ago, the whole kind of digital uh, redefining technology. There just seems to be another ex extension of that. Uh, yeah, I, I don't uh, approve of uh, worrying about uh, viruses on surfaces. Uh, if, you're, if you think you're susceptible uh, to the viruses, all you have to do is uh, uh, remember not to put your hands in your mouth or eyes or nose uh, until you have a chance to wash them. Right. Yeah, it's basic, basic hygiene, which they've shown time and time again in hospitals and other clinic settings, has the biggest impact. It's just like the social reforms of the 1900s in England. You know, washing brought down massively the deaths uh, in, in the labor wards, etc. I guess the exception comes when you're bringing children into a grocery store and you're sending them a the shopping cart. I didn't think about these things because I just kept my hands out of my eyes, my nose, my mouth, and my ears. But with children, they're constantly sticking their hands in their mouth. And when we had kids, I became very aware that uh, they could be sticking the herpes virus in their mouth, for example. Okay, you're listening to Ask Your Rep, Dr. KMUD Galville, 91.1 FM. From now until the end of the show at 8 o'clock, uh, you're welcome to call in with your questions uh, about the continuing science and facts around COVID-19. The number is 707-923-3911. So just to uh, quickly cover a couple of other articles before we get into uh, some of Josh Middledorf's um, work and the politics influencing the science of COVID. Um, the Harry Vox um, interview on YouTube that people can take a look at. If they want to type in Harry Vox, um, Henry Kissinger memo or security memorandum 200. Uh, that was dated December 10th, 1974. And Kissinger clearly outlined um, the subject of the population and discussed the fact that the CDC uh, has patented Ebola virus. And I'm not sure what that's all about, mentioning that if the ruling class, whoever they are, ever saw wide-scale civil unrest in the USA, that there'd be an outbreak of Ebola in the US. And it's a kind of further dog training of the population, which is going to quell dissent or groups amassing. And again, it's another divide and conquer narrative all over again. And we've got social distancing and everything that's happened as a result of this uh, pandemic uh, that was declared back in March has isolated people and is definitely a divide and conquer strategy that has been used for sure. And there's very little evidence even, and maybe you want to speak to this, Dr. Pete, that the um, social distancing and the isolation has actually had any measurable effect because they'll want to tell you that it's had the biggest effect. And I know that uh, Josh Middeldorf's, uh, Middeldorf is German, um, his article, and it came out in July of 2020, uh, entitled, if people want to search for it, just type in, uh, it's a Nature article, uh, Josh Mitteldorf, Politics Influences the Science of COVID-19. And he clearly outlined that actually this social distancing thing is very questionable and doesn't really alter the numbers. But he's also on the same page saying that the actual numbers uh, have been conflated out of all proportion. And just like you've said since the beginning of this, and that actually the numbers are not anywhere near the numbers that we've got. And in relation to uh, the total deaths in the U.S., for example, um, cardiac disease, there's 600,000 deaths a year uh, from cardiac disease and heart disease and cancer is about 600,000 as well. So putting, putting it in perspective is the most important thing and not uh, using statistics to uh, conflate um, an idea that's being put forward in an article and, um, and we have another color. Yeah. And then um, mentioning that um, this information is clearly visible. It, it, if you've got to dig a little deeper to find out where the numbers came from and how they've measured it. So, um, Dr. Pete, what do you briefly, before we take this next caller, what do you briefly see in terms of the actual figures at this point in time? What do you uh, interpret is happening? Uh, the the um, uh, political... Uh, action has been 
uh, almost entirely based on a mathematical uh, model of an infection produced uh, by a group at the Imperial uh, uh, College in London uh, and uh, delivered to the government March 16 uh, and set them into motion uh, on this lockdown because they uh, predicted several million deaths if they didn't lock down. Uh, And uh, uh, this group, uh, uh, Neil Ferguson and uh, his group at the Imperial College uh, published uh, an article uh, more recently in Nature magazine pushing uh, the same absolutely discredited uh, uh, mathematical model nonsense, uh, 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 saying that uh, see, uh, uh, several million people didn't die and you locked down, uh, therefore the lockdown uh, prevented millions of deaths, uh, neglecting that uh, the uh, influenza season uh, uh, drops off in the spring and summer, and the curve is exactly uh, like that. When you look at the uh, total deaths in the United States week by week, uh, uh, the, the CDC has them going back for years, and uh, you shouldn't believe them uh, uh, too faithfully because uh, I looked at them recently, uh, and they do show a continuous uh, decline. Uh, First, the the, uh, COVID deaths declined uh, to a low point in June, but total uh, world uh, or total United States weekly deaths have declined steadily uh, since the end or middle of May. Uh, So uh, all all mortality is declining, uh, and there was a slight uh, upturn in deaths diagnosed as as COVID, but when the total mortality is decreasing, uh, you know that that can be explained because uh, people have been instructed to uh, include uh, any suspicious death uh, as a COVID death. And uh, the reason I say uh, you, you can't take their word for it, uh, not only outrageous things they did uh, going back uh, 70 or 80 years, but uh, just recently I I looked at their uh, last uh, uh, looking backward to February 1st, uh, which uh, I and uh, a few other people had commented on uh, uh, that um, that they were showing a a historically low uh, rate of death starting January 1st this year. And then those missing deaths uh, popped up uh, in the April COVID mortality peak. But just recently, uh, the numbers going back 25 weeks were revised uh, upward. Uh, These reports coming in from all over the United States starting in January 1st, uh, somehow uh, people were uh, under-reporting their numbers uh, uh, by coincidence uh, from every part of the U.S. Uh, and uh, where previously the CDC had finalized uh, their figures by the third week, usually uh, mostly by, by the second week, but uh, after the third week, uh, looking backwards, the numbers had been stationary year after year. But uh, just recently, they looked back 25 weeks and changed these numbers reported from all over the U.S. Uh, That's something that just, uh, it's one uh, falsification on top of another one. Yeah. Okay, well, let's hold that thought for a minute and let's see uh, this next caller. Let's take this next caller and caller, you're on the air. What's your question and where are you from? Hello. Uh, Am I on? Yes, you're on the air. Oh, good, good. Thank you. It's Maureen, and I'm calling from Arcata. And um, I want to go back to when you were talking. I haven't heard the whole program, but I want to go back to when you were talking about divide and conquer. That's not new. But but this time, because it's been going on for thousands of years. Oh, oh, and i got somebody interrupting me here, so it's being very difficult. But 
we don't have, you know, we do not have to believe lies. We're capable of having these conversations amongst ourselves. Town meetings. Arcata still has a town square. So does Scarborough. I mean, town squares were eliminated so there wouldn't be dissension, you know, strategically and deliberately. So, but we can do it. I see the tide turning very much so. We must not be imprisoned by lies or the wrong words. The only way we will be free is if we are talking about what we want to see in the world. There's collaboration. I know what I want to see, world peace. Yeah. Okay. So, So these are, I'm begging us to have these conversations. Yeah, that's the whole point of free speech in this country, isn't it? Is that it gives everybody, from the crackpot to the scientist, the equal opportunity to voice their opinion. You don't have to listen to it. You don't have to obey it. But dissension and quelling that free speech is the most dangerous threat we have in America. So thank you for that point about the town square and the town crier in England. The same thing. Um, you know, in Hyde Park Corner, the same thing happens. If you've got a soapbox, you want to get up on it and you want to say something that's a little controversial or it just sounds completely off the, off the wall, true or not, it doesn't matter. It's your choice if you want to listen and you want to find out more. That's why we do these shows. Some of it sounds so controversial, and I know we get a lot of criticism, but we do get a lot of praise for it too. So thank you for your call, caller. So... The number you are in the area or out of the area, 707-923-3911. And this is Andrew Murray and Sarah Murray, Ask Your Rev Doctor, KMD Carbival, 91.1 FM. Uh, Dr. Pete, let's get back to some of the facts. And uh, I mentioned there's some newer uh, information that's come out from uh, Josh Mickeldorf um, examining two, two features of all of this that sum everything up that Number, the numbers, number one, the reported numbers by the CDC have been gained. So wait, uh, can I, before, can I interrupt you, sorry, Andrew? Okay. But, so what I want to just clarify, Dr. Pete, what you last said about these numbers is that if you look at this year's total death compared to previous years, we're not any higher on total death? When I and several other people looked at them in February, March, and April, they were below historical weekly averages. Something had happened to the death rate. It was definitely collapsing by 5 or 10% every week starting on January 1st. Uh, and, and there was a historical high in April all of a sudden. Uh, yeah, uh, 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 convenient if you had been uh, skimming right. off the reported deaths and saving them up. Uh, right. uh, they would uh, just about make that peak. But then uh, just uh, about a week ago, uh, I looked back at those same, uh, supposedly the same numbers, and they didn't comment at all. But I looked at the numbers I had written down in March and looked at the same list of numbers now posted, and they have revised 25 weeks backwards so that my list now shows the deficit that had been there. Now they show what looks like normal mortality rate, and other, other people notice that. I haven't heard any comments on this re-revision, which I think is even uh, more shocking that uh, they haven't commented. Uh, They they always left the numbers in place after about the third week. Uh, No more information was coming in. Uh, Now suddenly uh, they were flooded with uh, thousands and thousands of deaths going back 25 weeks. So does that mean that they just added a bunch of deaths into the January, February, March number? I, I think it's or obvious. Or did they take some away from the April, May, June number? I think it's obvious that they're just uh, skimming and making up the numbers, uh, putting numbers back that look plausible. Right. So we can't really tell. So then if the death is really the same from all cause mortality, means it doesn't matter what you died of compared January to August, 
this year, with 2019, 2018. So anybody that has died from the flu in those previous years obviously add into that all-cause mortality. And this year, people are dying from a flu as well. So what you're trying to say is there's absolutely no difference in this, this year compared to previous years when you look at the hard data, even if you can't trust it. Um, yeah, and uh, with the great peak of, of COVID in April, uh, there was a simultaneous crash in mortality from the flu. Uh, and Deborah Burks uh, in the CDC uh, uh, commented that... Uh, uh, things that were uh, not really uh, COVID uh, were were being put down as COVID uh, uh, incorrect diagnosis, and, and uh, she disappeared from the public view right after she said that. Yeah, I heard her say that she estimates about 25% of the COVID deaths are not really COVID deaths; they're other flu. Because I heard a press conference where people, the press was asking her, "Well, what happened to influenza A, influenza B?" Where did they go? And she said, well, probably 25% of the COVID deaths are other flus. Uh, yeah, but by, by their own numbers, you, you see the straight line down of, of influenza deaths and the straight line up of, of COVID deaths. And Denny Rancourt, uh, on that uh, 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 video that you mentioned, uh, has this graph that he plotted from the CDC's own numbers showing an absolutely impossible uh, curve of mortality, a crash that is uh, impossible in any natural way, uh, which he says should be uh, prosecuted as a, a crime. Okay, so just they're playing with the let's, – let's assume they're playing with the numbers because right. the numbers are going up and down. That's and all-cause mortality is not yeah. um, changing. So what do you think, Dr. Pete, is their end game? Why are they doing this? Why is the CDC doing this? What are they uh, well, wanting? Well, uh, 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 Klaus Schwab, uh, uh, when he announced uh, a few months ago, announced the uh, uh, January meeting of the World Economic Forum would be called uh, the Great Reset. He said that... Uh, Planetary warming was working along fine towards their goal, but very slowly. And now the virus is going to allow it to happen very quickly. And their goal is to shut down the old economy so it has to be replaced by online digital substitutes. Uh, replacing uh, thousands of retailers, for example, all across the country uh, to, to be replaced uh, by places like uh, Amazon. And incidentally, uh, uh, Jeff Bezos, uh, uh, his wealth increased by $25 billion in just a few weeks. I heard that statistic. So the end game is so that they can... Consolidate power. Consolidate power and control global warming. Well, under the guise... No, no, the global warming was just uh, another point that was uh, along in the same direction, but uh, the ability to turn off the economy directly by order, uh, uh, that wouldn't have been possible for global warming. Oh, I see. So they use this instead. Uh, uh, yeah, it's exactly what they wanted, according to Klaus Schwab himself. Interesting. Well, I mean, uh, I want to get to the point here then. Uh, collapsing economies and rebuilding them uh, by the, the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, is nothing new in the World Bank. Um, and the countries that are rebuilt tend to be rebuilt along a socialist authoritarian model. And uh, let's not forget from my own uh, birth country, you know, in England, that the European Union was and is indeed one of these alliances more closely tied to China than ever before. Um, what do you think about these alliances and, and, and what they hold uh, in terms of 
if China really get a foothold. And then we have a caller. Even even Hitler was making allowance for the German people surviving, uh, but uh, that isn't in the present program. Uh, the idle workers, uh, no one has explained how they're going to be disposed of when you have uh, hundreds of millions of people displaced by digital robots. Uh, what are you going to do with hundreds of millions of unemployed people? Uh, they'll be uh, expensive to support. Uh, uh, they aren't going to uh, get the, the first-rate uh, care in any system that uh, I can foresee. Okay, but what about the IRS? Aren't they, wouldn't they be upset if hundreds of millions of people were unemployed and not paying their taxes? I'm, uh, a lot of them will probably be unemployed, too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's take this next call. Uh, Caller, uh, you're on the air. Where are you from and what's your question? I'm from Fort Bragg. Could you please quit using the pronoun they and, and talk about name who you're talking about doing all this nefarious stuff? Uh, we have. We've been very specific about names and dates. No, you haven't. Times. We have. They Thanks, are planning this if, and they are planning if, that. If you, want to, if you want to listen to the archive, I would uh, recommend you do that because most of what we're saying has been substantiated by names, dates, and places. So, Dr. P., um, I mentioned that, uh, well, you mentioned that the numbers had been uh, skewed and they're actually lower than normal numbers. And the CDC has skewed the numbers. Yeah, and uh, I, yeah, the CDC, okay, because people need to listen to the whole show and then they'll understand what we're talking about, perhaps. Um, the, the two people that I, I brought out uh, two months ago, I think it was, uh, in July, June, yeah, um, Erin Marie Olszewski, uh, she was a doctor, uh, sorry, a nurse, uh, and she was whistleblowing uh, for all of the fatalities from ventilators. And then there was uh, Dr. Cameron and Carl Seidel, a New York ER doctor, who were saying that ventilators were doing all the damage and that this was not like any other uh, sudden acute respiratory um, disease and it had to be looked at differently because people were just dying on ventilators. And obviously New York had some of the highest fatalities. Um, I think the changing nature of intervention is playing a part because, you know, I'm not saying COVID-19 doesn't exist. It does. And, but we're saying that it's nowhere near uh, the, you know, the world problem that we want to be uh, put in our place and dominated and told what to do uh, because actually the numbers just don't line up and all of the information and the facts are all there. So treatment has changed fairly drastically, and I knew I know several doctors and uh, personally surgeon uh, in um, Los Angeles who's saying that in their wards there, in the ER wards, they are using, and I'm not saying I'm not bashing it or supporting it uh, per se, but hydroxychloroquine and losartan have been used very effectively um, for recovering patients who are in any kind of um, acute pulmonary distress through a positive diagnosis of SARS-CoV-19. COVID and so we have a caller. The, uh, 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 the virus, the the virus does exist, but treatment has changed. And if we can get your response into that quickly and we'll get the yes. next caller. Uh, uh, the thing that Kyle Seidel and one other doctor in Brooklyn pointed out uh, was that they were treating them in exactly the wrong way. Uh, right. They pointed out that they had the classical symptoms of high-altitude sickness, uh, which is basically a, a carbon dioxide uh, deficit. Uh, and if you pump oxygen into their lungs, you kill them as fast as anything. Uh, they, they pointed that out, and, and uh, gradually, over a period of several weeks, uh, the whole establishment started uh, catching on uh, in a sort of slow, reluctant way. But yeah. basically, they've stopped murdering thousands of people by stuffing tubes in right. when they should be giving them a little extra carbon dioxide with their respiratory oxygen without forcing it in. Exactly. Okay, let's take, let's take this next caller. Let's uh, see where the caller's coming from, what the question is. And uh, you're on the air, caller? And I'm you've got about three minutes. So 
need to be fairly quick. I'm calling from Redway, and I wanted to know about hyperbaric chambers. I've heard that people are just doing some high-pressure chamber treatment, which might link in with the symptoms of uh, high-altitude sickness. Yeah, we, we have discussed this a couple of months back, and I think hyperbaric was on the uh, on the list of uh, you know relatively safe and relatively effective. What do you think, Dr. Pete? Um, uh, the, the problem of carbon dioxide uh, when, when you're uh, having poisoning uh, leading to sepsis and inflammation of the lungs, uh, the, the classical thing is like these COVID symptoms or high-altitude sickness. Uh, the carbon dioxide can escape uh, through the damaged lung, but you can't get oxygen in, and the uh, inflammation uh, of the infected intestine and other tissues uh, produces uh, uh, sepsis-producing lactic acid, uh, which drives off uh, the carbon dioxide, uh, and uh, that blocks the urge to breathe. When you're deficient in, in carbon dioxide, what they noticed was uh, the people didn't seem to be uh, as... Uh, lacking oxygen by their symptoms, they didn't right, feel right. a great need to, to breathe, which they should have been breathing because uh, their oxygen was actually getting low. But that happens uh, when you uh, uh, can't get the uh, uh, production of, of uh, carbon dioxide because lactic acid is uh, being produced instead. Uh, and so if you give more oxygen, uh, that will... If you can get it in through the skin or intestine or other ways than the lungs, uh, that could save them. But uh, adding some carbon dioxide to the, to the system is the only way you're going to get their uh, physiological uh, working back, uh, the urge to breathe properly. Let me quickly ask you this, Dr. Pete, before we give out your information. In hospital, uh, when you get hooked up, they uh, monitor your pulse and your heart rate. It's the same thing, sorry, um, on your ECG, and then they'll look at your O2 saturations. They always talk about 99 and 98 as being great, and some of these patients with COVID being down to 40s and 50s. I know you don't agree to the whole high, high percentage oxygen saturation because you are, in a lot of ways and very likely too through science, against uh, oxygen per se, but always um, counter that with the saving grace of carbon dioxide. What do you think is uh, a healthy person's oxygen saturation should be? Uh, and well, into the point where then you should begin to take notes that it's low. I'm, I've noticed uh, for years that when I'm comfortable, uh, mine is in the low 90s, but if I uh, go run up a hill, uh, my oxygen will go up to 96 to 100. <laughs> and you feel how impressive that When I'm right. really using a lot of oxygen, uh, my oxygen saturation goes up several percent. Uh, and okay. uh, trying to figure out what was happening, uh, I just tried uh, war warming or cooling my hand, uh, and I found that uh, cooling my hand uh, would... Uh, produce a, a very high uh, saturation because my hand was not consuming any oxygen. It was effectively a metabolically dead hand. Uh, and warming my hand uh, up to body temperature, uh, then it starts burning oxygen and it holds your level down to 94 or something like that. Let me, let me hold you then. Thank you very much for joining us again this month. Okay, so for those of you who've listened, it's Ask Your Herb Doctor, third Friday of every month on KMUD Garberville 91.1 FM. Our website, www.westernbotanicalmedicine, has all of the shows we've done for the last 12 years on the resources tab. And like I say every time, uh, for those who want to listen, let them have ears. And everything that we've said has been recorded for posterity, so as time goes on, people can check what we've said, and we like to give out the facts and not hearsay or conspiracy, although those conspiracies do seem to be tasty morsels that seem to tie the whole thing together, but will be borne out in the future by the actuality of the, um, you know, the events. So let's just see. Uh, until September, um, third Friday of September, uh, we'll wish you a good night. My name's Andrew Murray. My name's Sarah Murray. Thank you for listening. Good night.
Kmart appreciates the support of longtime Humboldt locals, the Sageman Trading Company. Customers can shop by appointment this summer by calling 707-943-9905. Sageman produces and repairs African hand drums and hand percussion products. Also available are women's, men's,